Well, if you would take out the Word of God and turn to Mark chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 20. Um, I'm going to read verses 19 and 20 uh, to begin our time together. I do want to uh, say something to parents uh, as we get started. I know many of you still have your kids in the service with you, and um, we're still trying to open up all of our ages and children's ministry. Um, but I, I just want to give a word to you before we begin the sermon. Uh, first of all, when our kids were really little, we didn't do a good job of protecting them from things that were uh, scary in movies, um, those sort of things. And as we read the Word of God, we realized you can't really protect them from scary things. So we let them, you know, watch Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, Nightmare on Elm Street. When they were looking. I'm just kidding. That's a joke. That's a joke. Um, but when you read the Word of God, you cannot hide really scary things. And uh, I remember struggling with that. In the passage today, I was trying to think about you with your kids in here as we went through this. And it is a scare. There's a scary thing in uh, the passage we're going to look at. And so to parents and kids who are in here today, the, the point of the passage before we get started is we live in a fallen world and there are wild, crazy, chaotic and scary things. But I don't want you to miss the point. Jesus is a bigger hero and he controls and he is sovereign and he is Lord over the wild, scary things. And if he is Lord and he is king and especially if he is your savior, you have nothing to fear. So, parents, as we move through, one of the things you should do today is just write out applications, things you're going to talk to your kids about uh, as we uh, move through this passage together. There's nothing to be scared of. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. Uh, he is the one, even as we just sung, who was not created. And we have nothing to fear when we hope and we trust in him. Mark chapter 5, I'm going to read uh, verse 19 and 20. If you would hear the word of God as we stand in reverence to it, remember, this is our King. So often in Scripture, God says, it is actually, uh, the Bible is saturated with the command, do not fear, do not fear. But then the prophet Isaiah says, but you should tremble before the word of God. And so fear nothing as you tremble before God's word today. Notice verse 19. And he did not permit him to go, but he said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord and how he has had mercy on you. And when he went away, he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Oh God, I pray today that we would marvel at all you've done for us in Jesus. We would stand in reverence to His power, His strength, His glory, His authority. And we would, by faith, understand that it is all used for us and our good. And the most terrifying thing that we could do is oppose Him. And yet in the Gospel, He is not opposed to us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. One of the best chores my parents ever gave to me was the task of feeding our dogs 
at night. Now I realize now why my dad gave me that task and waited most every night until it got dark to tell me to go do it. I didn't realize what he was doing at the time, but I kind of understand it now. It was like every child, most children, I was terrified of the dark. And I did not enjoy going out late at night by myself. And I hated this chore. I hated this task. I would often sit through dinner with just anxiety about what was about to happen at the end of the meal. I knew my dad was going to look at me and tell me, yeah, you need to go feed the dogs now. And I would always, there was anxious in my gut. And a lot of times, just to be honest with you, just to confess, I would act like I was sick when I would get through eating. Be like, I can't do it tonight. I just don't feel good. I need to go to the bathroom and get out of feeding the dogs. But our dogs were outside and they, they just, they stayed out during the day. You know, we were a godly home and we kept our pets outside. But they were outside during the day just doing whatever they wanted to. And at night we kept them under our back porch, which was like a deck. It was really nice. And my dad had built a dog pen and they stayed there at night. And so as I would walk outside, I would often just close my eyes out of fear. And then I would begin to just talk myself into there are horrible things beyond behind every tree, everything that I'm walking past. There is something out here that is just horrible and terrifying. And by the time I would get to where my dogs were, I would just take the food and just throw it over in there and then turn and run and go back inside. I remember quite often talking to my mom. She was like, what are you so scared of? You're outside all day. You know, there's nothing out there. Why are you so scared? Like, she doesn't understand the wild things come out at night. But my approach to my kids was similar, but a little bit more biblical. Because we would make our kids take the trash out at night, still do, but they're grown. They're not as scared as they used to be. We, we have our dog in the house. This is the sin of the next generation. So they don't have to go feed anything. But a couple of them hated walking out by themselves in the dark. And they really hate it when we would ask them to go throw things over the cliff behind our house, which is about an acre away. And you have to walk through a wooded area and throw things over the side. And they really hated it when I would make them do that, even without a flashlight at night. Because I was, hey, guys, you got to face your fear. And when they would say, you know, yeah, but there's all kinds of things out here. I would not say, no, there's not. I would say, there's coyotes out there. You've seen skunks out there. I mean, listen to those animals in the woods. They would say, well, why don't you go do it? No, I'm not not going out there. You go do it. You have to face your fears. And we would call this daring feats of danger and give names for it. But but it was much more biblical because I was honest with my kids that there were things out there. Even this summer, there was a black bear in our neighborhood. And Jonah still had to go out by himself. There's a bear out there. Well, just don't pet it. Don't get close to it. Run away from it. But that was a much more biblical approach because the truth is, the Bible is very clear that there are wild and scary things out there. That is truth. That's reality. 
And we even see in the book of Mark that it's worse than we would ever imagine. The book of Mark reminds us that there is the presence of forces that we don't see beyond the physical realm that we look around this room and we see things physical. The Bible teaches us that there is a spiritual realm that is here right now. And if God took the veil away from the physical, that we would see the spiritual and the physical together, we would be scared to death. Because we would see things, spirits and forces, angels. We would see a cosmic battle before us that would leave us in awe and terror. Those things are real. And we cannot deny that they are real. And if God allowed us to see it all, we would never leave our house at night. But God is good. And God is gracious. And God is kind. And one of the, one of the ways He protects us is not unveiling it all to us in a way that would terrify us. He protects us. And there are things that our God is doing in the spiritual realm right now. To protect us, to keep us secure, that we don't see and we don't even know about. And he certainly does not let Satan and the forces of darkness just have their way. He is a good God. And he protects us from wild, scary, crazy things at all times. But in the book of Mark, we have seen a demon in the synagogue. Of all places, in the synagogue. And he trembles. Before the Lord Jesus Christ. And last week we described the storm that Jesus calms on the sea. The chaos that he brings into submission to his word. Mark even describes that as a demonic force. There is something out there on the deep that is raging that Jesus steps in and he controls. And so in our passage today we move from chaos on the sea to chaos on the land inside man. And it reads like a scene from Stranger Things. Literally, in our passage, Jesus goes ghost hunting. And He goes to declare His power, His authority over what we see and even over what we don't see. Notice verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, the Sea of Galilee, the country of Gerasim. And this would have been about a two-hour sail across the sea. Remember, Jesus is teaching, He's preaching, He's doing His ministry. And then He says, let's go to the other side. Jesus was on a mission to go to this Gentile area, this Gentile-occupied town. And He has a purpose in going to this place. The storm couldn't move Him off course. We even could suspect this is where Jesus was going And it's almost as if Satan and the forces of darkness were trying to keep him from there. And yet he's plotted through the storm. He arrives in Decapolis. It it means ten cities. And it was an area devoted to demons. This This is where the demons are. This is where they live. This Gentile, unclean, occupied area. And notice what happens in verse 2. When Jesus stepped off the boat... Immediately, immediately abrupt. It's almost as if the spirit realm knew this showdown was about to happen. They knew what was coming. And Jesus steps off the boat and immediately 
there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Now, this would have been an area full of caves and tombs. It would have been marked out as unclean. Unclean because this would have been a place of death. This is where you bury people. A first century cemetery. And over this cemetery, there would have been unclean spirits. Unclean, meaning they were spirits of the dead. They lived among the dead. And they were rebellious to God. They were not surrendered to His authority. This was a place physically and spiritually unclean. And immediately Jesus goes to this area on a mission. And this man who had an unclean spirit meets him at the foot of the boat. Verse 3. He lived among the tombs. He lives in these mountains, in these caves. And no one can bind him anymore. Not even with a chain. And it seems as though this man was possessed by a demon. And as time went on, there were just more demons that possessed him. To the point that he was uncontrollable. They could not chain him anymore. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles to pieces. They tried to hold him down. This man would have been seen as dangerous to society. And the only way to keep people safe from him was to send him to the place of the dead. This literally God forsaken place and to chain him there, to bind him there. And yet he became so powerful that he broke the shackles into pieces, literally crushed them. And no one had strength to subdue him. And night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And so as you sat down with your family at night to eat, you you wouldn't hear coyotes in the distance. You would hear this demon-possessed man on the top of mountains howling out. And parents would have to tell their kids the story of the man that we had to send on the mountains and bind him. And he's not safe. Scary. Cutting himself. Now the focus of the work of the demon we see here is to destroy the image of God. That's what we're to get from that. Satan, who is an angel of light, who we read in Scripture, rebelled against God. He, he, he was an angel of light, and yet he sought his own way. And he is cast out of heaven. And as Satan is cast out of heaven, he takes forces of darkness, demons with him, who all rebel against God and his kingdom. And then when we see creation, we see where the forces of darkness, their prime target is man created in the image of God. Being created in the image of God means that you are created to rule on behalf of God. Image means stamp of God in the world. We are created to have dominion. We are to create it to cultivate and take care of this world on God's behalf. And so these demonic forces are focused on stamping out the image of God because they are focused on stamping out the kingdom of God in the world. We see it in Genesis 3 when Adam is led astray. That is an attack on the image of God in the world. 
And here we see this in a very visual way. A man created in the image of God is tormented by demonic forces. And we see a picture of of a man tormented in a cursed land of death. And we're to be reminded of what sin has done in the world. Sin has cursed God's good garden and turned it into a cemetery full of dead things. And that's where we live. You see, we were created to live under the rule of God in a place of life. God created us to enjoy His rule in the garden. Adam sins. Adam rejects God's rule. And now we live in a place cursed with death. As the image of God, the image bearers of God, tormented by the rule of Satan. And yet Jesus has made an intentional trip across the stormy sea to purge this land of all that is wild and scary, all of the dead, unclean things. Notice verse 6. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. Isn't that powerful imagery? The Creator is here. The ruler of the world is here. And you have this man possessed by demons, and he rushes up to him and bows down before him. In reverence. The word means submission and fear. The one who rules all things is present. What else can he do? In verse 17, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus? Why are you here? This would have been a loud shriek. And you would have been able to tell this person's not right. The scream loud would have hurt your ears. It would have been shrill. What have you to do with me? And notice he says, Jesus. Now we've seen that in Mark and we see that in other gospel writers. When Jesus arrives on the scene, there's a lot of people who don't know who he is. We've heard rumors about him. This itinerant carpenter, backwoods preacher, Mary and Joseph's boy. But the demons know exactly who he is. Jesus. The Son of the Most High, the highest King, the one who rules all things. In this Gentile country, this would have been a confession that this is Israel's King. They claim they have the highest King. And yet, this is the highest King's King, the Lord of the Most High. I adjure you by God. Notice he says, by God. Why are you here? Do do not torment me. Isn't it wild that this man possessed by a demon is calling upon God in the name of God? Do not torment me. There is a higher power in his presence. And he realizes he is the only one that he can go to for mercy. For he was saying, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So the demons are asking, have you come here to torment us? The demons who are tormenting the man, the man who has been tormenting, is there just more torment coming? The word for torment is actually eternal torment. You see, the demons know their end is destruction, and they're asking Jesus, have you come to finish us off? Notice verse 9. And Jesus asked him, what's your name? <laughs> now, that is to be funny. 
Because the demons know who Jesus is. It's almost like a sarcastic jab. Oh, yeah, what's your name? You know who I am. Who are you? Now, there was a superstition during this time that in, in the spirit world, if you invoked one's name, you would assert power over them. And so what Jesus is saying here is your little piddly approach to, to, to uh, assert power over me is futile. I don't even know your name. That, that was futile. That's silly. Trying to overpower me? Who in the world are you? And he says, my name is Legion. Now, this would have been a spokesman for the demons. Inside this man lived an army of demons. The word legion, it refers to a Roman militant group, a, a military group of soldiers between five and six thousand. And here the, the demon is just trying still to scare Jesus. He invokes his name. I'm going to get the upper hand on you. I'm going to I'm going to say your name first. Who are you? I'm legion. I'm many. You better be scared. Jesus said, who in the world are you? But imagine this man who now we see has been tormented by thousands of demons living in his body. The voices in his head, the image of God is being cursed and marred and torn to pieces, even physically. And we get to this point, we have to admit, we have to admit, we have to come to an end of our knowledge of all things. Realizing we don't know it all and just say, isn't the world really dark, scary, and it's complex? And we don't have all of the answers of how did this happen to this man? What did he do? Was he cursed? We don't have all of the answers at this point. We just have to admit because of sin, the world is dark and scary and complex. Now, many people at this point, they describe uh, this demon possession as mental illness. I don't believe that's true. Is it possible? Maybe. Is it probable? I would say not for the believer. Demon possession doesn't lead to mental illness, although that is real. We would even say that that's really dark and scary and complex. But it's not demon possession. But we just have to admit that there are things too scary for us to control. That we have no control over. Wild, scary, chaotic things. And there's no science, no military, no good advice, no medicine that's adequate to fix some things in the world. And we're to be reminded that we live in a world cursed and chaotic. But what do we learn from this section? Even the demons, the unknown demons, tremble before the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who's bringing order to the world. The dark, scary, chaotic things submit to the name of Jesus Christ. And He is our only hope. And we read in Philippians chapter 2 that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And notice what Paul says there, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So there is a day coming where every force, good, bad, demons, angels, 
in heaven worshiping God, who will be in hell, who are working for Satan. And all men created in the image of God one day will have to bow before Jesus and say, you are king. Confess, Paul says, with the every tongue that Jesus is Lord to the glory of, of the Father. And so we have to understand millions of unknown demons right now fear the name of Jesus because they know he will be king forever. And so if you're a Christian here today and you have believed on the name of Jesus, what are you scared of? What are you scared of? In Ephesians chapter 1, we read that in Christ, God has given us every spiritual blessing seated in the heavenly places. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul begins to describe that security, what Jesus has accomplished for you, what he has locked up tight for you is far above every force, every dominion, every power, every angel, every demon. It's yours in Christ. Nobody can take it away. Not even a legion of demons can take away what the name of Jesus has given you. In Romans chapter 8. Verses 37 through 39, we read that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, not what you see, the Roman sword, and not what you don't see. Forces of darkness arrayed against you. Nothing. And so we bow and we trust and we hope in the name of Jesus no matter what. Yes, the world is complex. No, we don't understand it all. We don't understand why I think this way, why I feel this way. We don't even see all the millions of things God is doing here right now. We don't see it all. But it comes down to one thing. Will you confess Jesus is Lord? Will you surrender to his, de- his name? The demons know to do so. Do you? Notice verse 10. And he begged him earnestly. Gets down on his knees and says, Please do not send us out of the country. Now, again, this was the place where the demons live. They don't want to be sent out. Just so happens, verse 11, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. This is another reminder that this was a Gentile area. Pigs. Pigs were the most unclean animal. They lived on the hillside. Gentiles were known for eating pigs. Don't send us out in the country. Oh, the pigs. Verse 12. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. And so verse 13, Jesus gave them permission. Again. Jesus rules and reigns over everything. They have to ask him for permission. Hey, we don't want to torment this man created in your image. Can we go to the pigs? And Jesus says, well, sure. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. Now, think about what a scene that would have been. Just this. You could see the chaos in the air. The, 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 the demons leaving this man and rushing into these pigs. And the herd, notice it says, numbering about 2,000. Now, I had an uncle who was a pig farmer. I don't know if I've ever seen 2,000 pigs at once. Can you imagine the chaos? The, the You know how that sound pigs make where they just squall out? I'm not going to try to do it. But in your mind, 
screeching and squalling and grunting. This would have been a chaotic moment. 2,000 pigs, they rush off the steep bank into the sea and drown in the sea. Now we see exactly what Satan had meant to do with the disciples. Jesus does with the demons. He drowns them in the pigs. This was a humiliating defeat. They are fleeing Jesus to commit suicide in pigs. How more humiliating could it be? Verse 14. And then the herdsmen. Now, we do have to remember these pigs belong to somebody. And so the pig farmers, they fled. I mean, they're not going to run up to Jesus and say, look what you did to our pigs. So what do they do? They run to town and they begin to tell everybody else in the city and in the country. And people came to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man. So they're hearing news. This miracle worker just killed all our pigs. And they come to see what's happened. And then they see the man who they've told stories about. The history of this demon-possessed man who had to be sent to the hill country. And he's sitting there like nothing had ever happened. And they notice, verse 15, they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man the one who had the legion sitting there. And notice the way it's described. Clothed and in his right mind. From chains and shackles, cutting cutting himself with stones. And now he's seated with the Savior, talking in his right mind. As if nothing had ever happened. Can you imagine the news crews in the city interviewing these herdsmen? You've seen that in a small town when a tornado comes through or something bad and you go out and you begin to interview the farmers and I ain't never seen nothing like it. You know that guy that was in our cemetery, Lone Oaks and Tombs? I've never seen a case of demon possession like that. It's the worst thing I've ever seen. And this miracle worker sent 2,000 of our pigs into a river, into the, into the water and drowned them. And there's chaos and people are in a frenzy and they rush out. What in the, what, imagine, what kind of destruction are we about to see? Pigs floating in the water. People are frustrated. But then you see Jesus with the man. And it is a picture of tranquility. He's speaking in his right mind. Never seen anything like this. And so their response should have been, praise the Lord. Their, their response should have been, isn't this great? This man who was destroying himself is now in his right mind. But notice, as we saw last week, they were afraid. They were terrified. And so no longer are they terrified of the demons. No longer are they terrified of the man. They are terrified of Jesus. And in verse 16, and those who had, who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And notice what they did. What, what happened here? Verse 17, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. 
It's not. We have to look to Him to make everything right and fix. There's a lot more things. You have this amazing power to control and destroy 2,000 demons. There's a lot of other things you could accomplish in our city. No, get out. Because your power scares us to death. We could put the man on the hill country. We We could try to chain him down. But that ain't happening with you. And instead of praising the Lord, you must get out of town. They fear the Savior more than the legions. And we talked about this last week. There is fear that leads to faith. You, you tremble before a power greater than you, and then you trust in that power to save you. But there's also a fear that leads to rejection. When you see a power greater than you and you reject that power, you run from it. You don't want to have anything to do with it. And why is that? Because they know if Jesus stayed in their little city, he would have to be king of their city. And they don't want that. And here we see a picture of what it looks like to restore the image of God that takes us all the way back to creation. When we go back to Genesis, before God begins to form the world, we have the description of the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the deep. What did we see last week? Jesus controlling all that opposes Him over the face of the deep. And we see restoration. We see redemption. The the world that God has created, the Savior has come and He is restoring things. And here, we're, we're taken back to when God creates man in His image and places him in a garden to, to live and walk with Him. And what do you see now? You see a man created in the image restored to God. And what is he doing? He's talking shop with Jesus. Hanging out with Jesus. It takes us all the way back to the beginning. God is restoring His creation. He is restoring the image of God in the world. The capstone of His creation is seated there with the Savior. Restoration has come in Jesus Christ. And it scares everybody who sees it. You do realize the power of Jesus to restore scares people. It scares the the town here. He has a, imagine if we cannot chain down this possessed man and hold him captive, then we sure ain't going to change that chain down the one who cast out the demons. We can't, we can't take Jesus and leave him out on the hill country if he threatens us. No, he has a power greater than anything that we've ever seen. We can't put him in his place. And so they would rather have haunted tombs with pigs than Jesus. Get out. And we do the same thing. The gospel of Jesus does things we can't do. And for some of us, that's what scares you. And for some of you, that's why you're rejecting the gospel. Because if you have to admit Jesus is the only one who can save you from your sins, that has consequences for the rest of your life. He must be king of your life, right? If he is the one who is back from the dead, who has defeated death for you and promises to raise you from the dead, and you say, yes, that's true, then he, then he demands your whole life. And that's what scares you. 
He is the highest power who does away with sin and death in my life. And if I have to trust him for that, that means he's going to have to be king over everything. He's going to be, have to be superior power in my life. And that means he may ask me to do some things I don't want to do. He may call me to the mission field and I would have to listen. He may get to tinkering with the way that I do family, the way I raise my kids and my priority. If I trust him as king, savior king, then he's going to have something to say about everything. And I don't want any part of that. He's going to begin to reorder my life. I would rather have my issues than Jesus. It scares us. You can't say he's a truth teller when it comes to forgiveness. When it comes to resurrection, when it comes to eternity, grace and mercy. But then all of a sudden say, no, he's crazy when he starts talking about marriage. He starts talking about my personal life. You can't do that. He is supreme authority and it scares us to death and we tremble. And we would rather have scary, wild, dangerous things in our life than trust Jesus. Notice verse 18. And Jesus was getting in the boat. He's going back in the man who was possessed with demons, begged him that he might be with him. Jesus is a man on a mission. And he has entered this Gentile area and he has released this demon-possessed man. This story would have been scandalous to any Jew who heard it. Why would he do that? Why would he care? And then the man wants to go with him and Jesus says, wait, verse 19, he did not permit him but said, go home to your friends. Isn't that interesting? Instead of just going and being with me, no, you go to your friends. Because you have a mission now. I want you to tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how He has had mercy on you. Jesus doesn't deliver the man to take him with Him. He delivers him so that he would go tell the story. You're not going with me just yet. You're going to go tell everyone what I've done for you. And it's what He does for us. He don't take us home when we get saved. He says, now go tell everybody what the Lord has done. And notice what the Lord has done turns into what Jesus has done. Notice verse 20. And he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis, this demon-possessed land, this unclean land, how much Jesus has done for him. And everyone marveled. And the word for marveled can actually be trembled. You show up at Thanksgiving. You've been away for a while. And you're speaking in your right mind. No more cuts. We've heard stories of the torment. Yeah, let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. Let me tell you what this man named Jesus did for me. He delivered me from all that was wild and scary and chaotic in my life. And he has commissioned me to tell you. And notice how it's described has had mercy on you. Mercy means to not judge Injustice here would have been that he was left in the demon possession or that he was sent into the pigs and he just endured torment forever and ever. And yet mercy was that he was saved, delivered. And so with what joy should you declare what the Lord has done? Jesus has left you here with him. He hasn't taken you to the other side just yet. And he's left you here to proclaim what the Lord has done. And so I think one thing you have to do is like, what has the Lord done for me? Am I, am I someone who is marked by declaring the mercy of God? Imagine this man's joy. 
Imagine his excitement to tell everyone what the Lord had done for him. And if you're somewhere, somebody here today and you know what it's like to have been tormented by guilt and sin. Where you tried to live your life, you tried to fix it, you tried to go to church, you tried to go to campus ministry, you tried to, you tried to do all of the good conservative Christian things. And it, you, you could not be released from the bondage of guilt and sin. Oh, there's mercy because Jesus has come and Jesus has been the one who was labeled as the fool, not in his right mind. He was the one who was cast out from society. You and I who were bound in the desires of our sin, you were bound, you were locked up and you couldn't you couldn't get away from the desire to choose things that were bad for you. Things that you thought would bring you pleasure and satisfaction. And those things just kept coming after you and they were tormenting you and you were in bondage. And yet Jesus comes as the one who is bound. Jesus comes as the one who was skin was ripped to shreds. And he was the one who was beaten by those he created in his image. And he was torn for you and crucified for you. So that you would no longer be tormented by your sin. And yet for eternity, you would be with the Savior in your right mind. You deserve the justice of God for your sin. The craziest thing and the scariest thing and the most dangerous thing in your life right now is your sin. Because if you never trust in Jesus to save you from your sin, you will be tormented by it forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And yet on the cross, Jesus is tormented. For your sin. The wrath of God is poured out upon him. He is torn in two under God's judgment for you. You see, the good news, it itself can be scary and dangerous. Because if you're here today and you never trust in Jesus, you will be the one purged as someone who opposes him. Like swine in the eternal lake of fire. If you never believe in him, you will be cast out forever. And so the call today is come to your senses by coming to the cross today. And as hard as this world may be, your hope is one day, whatever haunts you, whatever torments you, what what you've done in your own life and what others have done and things that you can't even explain at time in your mind, in your heart, those things that torment you, your hope is because Jesus, you will stand with him the same way this man does. Now, for a time, we are left to walk in the dark. But we are not scared of the dark. Because Jesus has faced, it, faced our greatest fears for us.